Hello, and welcome to The Everyday Magic. This is a podcast exploring the ways we make meaning of our days. I'm your host, Jordan Medina. I spend my days teaching all ages yoga, studying to become a yoga therapist, mothering two little critters in Austin, Texas, and generally just pondering life's questions, both big and small. Here you will find conversations with fellow creatives, artists, teachers, and friends about their work in the world, as well as my own occasional musings about where I'm finding the magic amidst the everyday. I can't wait for you to listen. So we're going to begin with an introduction. Now, Chris, could you tell us who you are and what is your work in the world? I'm Chris Baltadano. I live in Nashville. I'm an entrepreneur. I own a yoga studio. And my work in the world, I think I'm trying to define this for myself lately, is really building community around the practice of yoga. I love that. And now, Chris, how do we know each other? Well, you and I are, I always refer to you as my colleague because it sounds so professional, but it, but it's true. We're, we're both students in uh, practice yoga Austin's yoga therapy program. So I feel like we're friends, but we're, we're co-workers in this way, but we're like professional relationship as well. And so yeah, all the things. Okay. Also, I love how this reflects like the differences between you and I, because you refer to me as your colleague, which sounds amazing. And I refer to you as my yoga bestie. <laughs> which is so indicative of like the differences between us, but also there are, there's much commonality, much common ground. Okay. So, you know, we've had the chance to have so many like really in-depth conversations, which is part of why I wanted to have you on this podcast. And I really love a lot of your hot takes. I think that you just have a really good knack for synthesizing like what's going on in the world and in the yoga world and really having opinions that are strong but soft at the same time. And I know in the past, we've spoken touch here and there about how people come to a yoga practice, but I don't think I've ever asked you, like, how did you come to your yoga practice? I came to my yoga practice, honestly, like the same way so many of us, at least we used to. I started at my local gym. And in high school, I was a varsity athlete. I was just super into fitness and movement. And there was, honestly, this kind of like shocks me about myself because I just have not changed my entire life. But there was a class, a yoga class at my local gym before school started. And you know, like school starts at like eight, which means I must have been there at like 5.30 or six, which is wild to think of a 17 year old getting herself up, getting to the gym. I'd take like my school uniform with me, get ready at the gym and go to school. But that's what I did. Um, I went to this yoga class and it was just a fitness modality for me for many, many years, probably until for like a decade. That's all that it really was for me. And I always like to remind people that like, that's okay. It's okay to get on your mat and move your body because you want to get stronger or fitter or as a complement to other athletic endeavors. And while I love the way the yoga industry is trending, and it's about educating more people about all the amazing things that yoga has to offer, I don't want to like demonize yoga for the sake of movement. Just having a little bit more grace for people where they are on their yoga journey, and then just hoping that they are provided with the resources that we both got yeah. to eventually have a more in-depth and holistic practice. But I just, I respect where anybody is in their yoga practice because my my roots are definitely in gym yoga. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, totally. It, it's funny too, because it's like, I think since what we're in is sort of like a form of higher ed, it's like yoga higher ed. Right. I think there does tend to be this elitism that naturally occurs as you learn more and you sort of know better. And like the expectation is that the world around you is going to like follow suit and everyone around you is going to suddenly be like, well, I'm prioritizing yoga philosophy over my asana. You know, it's like a little bit ridiculous, honestly, because yeah, like why are we shading people for finding yoga in the, you know, dance aerobic class, like whatever it is. For me, it was like a very specific moment where I had like a long shavasana after a hard vinyasa class in a hot yoga studio that was very dancey and vibey. And it was like, oh, this is something's up. Like this is something else. And that's like really what hit a touch point in me to then do the deeper exploration um, and do the other things. So you're so right. And while I am happy that the trend is in, you know, people moving more in the direction of educating instead of appropriating, I do think that there's still a layer of elitism when sometimes when it comes to, oh, once you've gained the knowledge, then you just naturally presume that you're better or something. There's like an, there, there is something that occurs. Totally. And, you know, to, to your point about appropriation, I will also caveat all of that by saying it's easy for me to say as somebody whose culture this mm-hmm. doesn't derive from like, oh, let them do their beer yoga. Um, yeah. Right. So just couching it that that is my opinion. But I can totally see how, you know, owners of that culture of yoga of the origins of yoga might feel differently. But in general, you know, I, I just want to honor where folks are on their journey, hope that they eventually end up, you know, where we are. But if that's taken like thousands of dollars, thousands of hours of yoga training, and not everybody even has that resource, they might just be doing yoga in the park and like, cool, that's great. Uh, Totally. And so I know fitness is a big part of what you do. When you ask Chris what her hobbies are, she'll be like, well, I I run and I bike and I, you know, sometimes she'll cook something, but (laughs) it's mostly like a a fitness. And, and you have like this, you have like an Olympian vibe. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something about you that's very driven and focused. And like, you, you're just a champion. You got that champion energy, which like yoga is, you know, it's a different thing. Like you're competing with yourself and you're competing for like what inner peace. It's not quite like that since the evolution of starting out how has your personal practice developed um well it's really just it really has it's it's shifted from this very physical thing that was just another movement practice to really the lens with which i see the world with which i see myself i think about yoga constantly and that doesn't include like handstanding or anything like that, where it's like, that's what it used to be like, oh, if I just get a handstand, like I'm gonna be such a good yoga teacher. I still don't have a handstand and I've stopped trying. So of course I don't have a handstand. I've not practiced one in years. But yeah, I think yoga probably really was one of those things that I thought I could conquer. It was one of those things that I was not immediately quote unquote good at. And I was like, oh, this is so hard for me and everybody's so much better than me and I'm not flexible. And I think that's why I stuck with it in the beginning. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the best in the room eventually with enough practice. And like, boy, did that just waste so much time. <laughs> and I, it actually taught me so much about being mediocre at something is so okay if you enjoy it. And I, I think it's the only thing in my world where like, I just, I didn't care if I was the most flexible. I'm absolutely not, definitely not the strongest. It's just, it brings me joy to f- inhabit my body in this way and not be aiming for a gold medal or something like that. And um, I'm just not really sure where else I'm, I'm striving for just this middle ground. Every other aspect of my life, it is like going for gold and it, it brings balance. 
Yeah, I see that. I see that in you, actually. I think that's really, it's an interesting thing to witness. It's a true yoga practice because it is this, it's this bringing you back to equanimity. And for you, it's like it does counterbalance sort of the other things that you do, which I think is so interesting, especially because you are the studio owner. You know, you have every right to put all of, I mean, it is, it's your work, it's your job, it's the work you do in the world. And I, I mean, that's different from having a person, owning a studio is not having a personal practice. Those are two very different things. But I think it's such a beautiful thing that you, you've like rooted yourself in this mentality around yoga. I think it's like very evident in the work that you do and probably in the way that you teach, although I've actually not taken your class. I'm sure that will change at some juncture. Now, what about your current personal yoga practice? Today, it's really just meditation, uh, mindful breathing. And like when I say mindful breathing, I, I truly mean like if I can find one moment a day where I'm like, oh, wait, I'm breathing right now and then stop and do it on purpose. Like, that's what I mean. Yeah. And yin yoga, that's kind of my obsession lately is yin. It used to be like a very fringe practice. I think it kind of depends where in the country you live. Um, you find pockets of it where there's lots of studios teaching it, a lot of yin teachers and some not so much. Um, I didn't start practicing yin until I moved to Nashville. Um, I don't even know if there's, there just wasn't a class at my old yeah. studio. I'm not sure if there is now. Uh, but again, it's kind of like I found I have found refuge in that practice because it's like very counterintuitive to my normal MO of you're constantly backing away. Like you find your edge and then you just don't go past it. And everything in my life is like my edge is so far behind me, I can't even like see it anymore. <laughs> so it really requires more focus. I can flow through a vinyasa class, like give me the hardest heated vinyasa class, and I can rhythmically do that. And then once you sort of start, or rather stop paying attention, then it's where it doesn't feel like yoga so much anymore. It's so true. I, that's like constantly what I'm grappling with as well. Is, you know, and it's so interesting because yoga therapy has given me this language to put to it, which is sort of this idea that we sort of are attracted to the thing that we don't necessarily need. Like that's a very different, I think, model than what we're taught in the West, which is, oh, your cravings point towards like your needs, you know, where this is like the opposite. And you're supposed to kind of dial it back in the areas that you feel the most comfortable in. And it's been a really interesting thing to kind of reflect upon because you're exactly right when you're in those moments of, of a practice that is so comfortable. That's not really the yoga, is it? Because you're not really sitting there facing the hardship that forces you back into yourself to think like, wait, like it's such an internal thing. And when you get in that way of a class that's, you know, for me, you know, I dabble in, in like Ashtanga and I'll be like, when I'm in that, it's like, oh, it's so fun. And it's like, I'm doing, and I'm thinking about like the next mm -hmm. pose and, and it's book Jordan. Is that where it is? You know, is that where the yoga is? And the truth is like, no, honestly, right now for me, it's like a very slow Hatha class where I'm forced to sit in a pose for like five breaths, which that's a lot of, I think that's your style of teaching. If I'm not mistaken, you do more like mm -hmm. long holds long uh, and breath throughout. And for any of our listeners who aren't into yoga, yen is it's long holds in postures that are meant to kind of like stretch you out like in the um is it in the joints it's like in the the fascia yeah. the joints and yeah and so you the might places do like where we often feel pain yeah. five poses in a class and you know you soften into them whereas like a person who might be craving a lot of yin really might need like a, a you know more strength and stability in their practice like it's really interesting to note but those are things that we're taught to kind of look at through the yoga therapy lens and it really has shifted how I've looked at myself and my practice so I'm um, I'm wondering if that's been true for you as well 
Absolutely. I think that's what yoga therapy, <clears throat> studying yoga therapy has really taught me is that I think we joke in our program that our corporate sponsor is, it depends. Mm. And that's true. You know, I say this about my practice that it's meditation and stillness and breath, but that could change tomorrow, sort of depending on where I am with the rest of my life. And that doesn't mean that I advise everybody who does yoga or my students who come to my class that this is what they should be doing all the time. Like nothing makes me happier than when I see like a student who comes to my heated vinyasa, then in my like flow and restore or something. I'm like, yes, it's about what do you need in this moment? It's a living, evolving thing. And yoga therapy is is that. It teaches us to look at what's in front of us and then apply a practice that makes sense in this moment, not for yesterday or tomorrow, but what makes sense right now. Uh, and I, I just don't know that I had that prior to yoga theory. I was like, oh, I do a, I'm a heated vinyasa flow girl. That's what I do. That's what I'll always do. It worked for me in the past. It'll always serve me. You're so right. And it really, it speaks actually back to that beginning conversation about like how you come to the practice, because like typically we're going to come to things we're comfortable doing or trying at least. And, you know, if you're somebody who does practice yoga and you've never tried a style outside of the one you're comfortable with, like I think that's a really great thing to do in general because they all have their sort of like purpose. And I think a lot these days in terms of community classes, which like I still love to take and enjoy thoroughly, obviously you're teaching them um, at your studio. There's a lot like you can see it out there in the world. It's the right application of the wrong yoga is like sort of what I think a lot of times. But at the same time, there's no reason to judge that. And at first, when kind of coming to this knowledge, it's like, oh my gosh, I just want to fix everybody's practice and take them here and there. And the other thing that's sort of said a lot, actually by probably the same faculty member of our program, is little, little. And it's like, just give them a little bit of what they, of what they need and more of what they want. You know, because a lot of times, that's where you're going to incur the change is in these like little tinier shifts versus this idea of just like overhauling somebody's like, I mean, I'm impressed that you spend this much time doing yin yoga because it, for you, it's so counter to the way you live in the world and the things that you do and your other activities, but it's bringing you that balance. And that's taken a lot of like self-reflection on your part to get there, right? Like that's not just something that comes Absolutely. overnight. And, and, you know, that's what yoga really is, is that exploration. How would, how would you define yoga? You know, I, this is always evolving for me as well. Um, I think right now I would define yoga as introspection and cultivating an understanding of who you are. Um, and I think that's a really advanced understanding of yoga because do we ever fully understand who we are i don't know i mean it, it takes a lot of time to look inward and to just sit with what comes up without you know harsh criticism or judgment or categorizing of oh that part of me is good or oh that part of me is bad it's just just being an observer to the world to our inner world and then if we can taking what we observe and learn and applying it in, in a practice. It doesn't have to be asana. And hopefully that cultivates joy, inner peace. And that's what I try to remind folks of like, why are we doing this? Why are we, if you're hitting your mat and, you know, I used to set my Apple watch every time I went into like a vinyasa class and gosh, I feel so sad for this version of me, but like the calories burned was an indicator of, oh, did I have a good class? Like I, it wasn't an internal feeling I was searching for. It was this external validation of whether I performed well. And I know there are still so many people out there like that. And it's a hard 
it's a hard thing to move away from. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an internal experience. It's such an internal experience. And I think the less and less we externalize it and the more we're able to internalize it, that is a yoga practice. I so agree. And it's so funny you brought up the watch because I've actually been thinking about this a lot. Like, Number one, like I go, a lot of the studios I go to don't actually allow you to have them. And at sometimes they'll actually comment like, please don't look at your Apple Watch, which is funny because when I wore it when I was pregnant, long before you would have known I was pregnant, I actually had to monitor it because if it got into a certain like range, I needed to kind of like dial it back. And so I was kind of watching it more for like a heart rate thing. So I don't always like this one size fits all, don't bring the watch in. But my sister and I were chatting about it and she's like, I hate Apple watches. I find them so rude. Like she is buying this uh, baby G watch, which is like this watch from the early 2000s. Off of, I remember. I yeah, had one. Yeah. She's, she just bought a baby G off of Amazon and is like, I'm just bringing back the baby G. And my mom sent my son Wilder a Swatch watch, which he is loving. He's like learning to tell time on a traditional clock. And I, you know, obviously I'm teaching yoga and like, I am the kind where it's like, I can kind of use the music if I'm using music to, uh, to track myself, but I do sort of need like a little, a watch scenario. And I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of now toying with this idea too. I'm like, do I need a swatch? Do I need a baby G? What's the situation here? You know, it's like, that's not really the culture that we want tied to yoga, right? As we've kind of, as we're kind of learning, it's like, I don't really want to tie yoga in with this fitness culture, even if that's the way you come to it. That's not really like the practice that I want to put forward. And so it does have me reflecting on that a little bit. And so it's funny you brought up the watch because that's actually just something that's been like, I've been toying with in my own mind and my, for my own reasons, similar to yours. And so I think that's interesting. And now are there any times, like this brings me to the next question, are there any times where you feel like stuck or conflicted in your personal practice? All the time. <laughs> I think that I have yet to meet someone who has a meditation practice and doesn't go through like waves of frustration mm -hmm. with it. Um, like sometimes I think I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm in this routine and I'm getting it and feeling good. And then it slips away from me. And I think that's, it's, but that's the practice, right? Is we move away from the thing that perhaps we're trying to cultivate and then we begin again over and over again and just having a lot of grace for ourselves and that process of like, okay, I'm not where I want to be, but recognizing that and then starting over, that's what this is. And so I think my meditation practice is definitely the most challenging. You know, I fall into that trap that I preach to my students not to. It's like, I don't have time. <laughs> so I'm just going to be quick. And while I'm sitting there, I'm like running through my to-do list for the day and not really present. And yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, that's the meditation is, is one for me. Honestly, like the breath is the one for me that sneaks away if it's not like really, I think that's why I'm like enjoying like the Hatha right now because one breath per movement, it's like it just becomes this rhythmic when you're doing like a, like a vinyasa style and it's like you're just kind of in that flow, flow state, but it isn't flow state for me. It's I'm doing it and I'm so used to it that my brain is like rattling off the next things that I need to do. Whereas mm -hmm. like when I'm stuck in the discomfort of breathing into a pose, okay, we're still doing this pose. I'm, I'm What are we doing here? You know, it's like you're ready to get out. <laughs> and for me right now, it's like really doing stuff to me that's, that's bringing me back to the present moment, which for me, that's what yoga is. We at the beginning of the year, you and I were talking about we have lots of books to read, like for our program, it's, it's absurd, but we also just want to spend more time with like the traditional yoga texts. And I know for Chris, she was like going to go back to the Bhagavad Gita. And for me, I was going to spend more time in the yoga sutras. And I really just got stuck on Sutra one, which is, and now the practice of yoga. But I've thought so much about that because it's, and now, 
and now it's presence. It's like, that's it. That's the thing. That's the, were they joking? Is that what it was? Was it like a sly little moment of them kind of saying like, stay present in this like, really obscure way? I think maybe it was because it really is this, it's this constant leading you back into yourself. And it is this moment of presence and it is so hard to achieve and it is slippery, right? Like the present moment is slippery. There it just went. And so I I think it's like this constant coming back to, to that. And I do think it can be tricky. And for me, that's definitely where I get like stuck and conflicted. Now, who or what in the yoga world is currently inspiring you? Honestly, it's really all the women of color challenging the status quo of what Western yoga has historically been and currently is. Um, they're just showing up so unapologetically, authentically. And I'm, I'm just in awe uh, as somebody who really wanted to, and probably still do to a certain degree, I'm just a conformist and, and want to fit in so badly. Um, less so now as I've gotten older, but watching these women just, you know, hey, I'm going to show up. And specifically women like Jessamine Stanley, who, I, who constantly like shocks me with her her rawness. It's so cool to see. It's so not only is she doing it, but she's being embraced for it, which I don't think is why she's doing it. But women like that, and there are so many Instagram has been, you know, there's pros and cons to all these things. But Instagram has been a really cool like treasure trove of these yoga instructors, yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, um, who are just changing things. Yeah, for love, the better. Love Jessamine. If you're if you don't follow her, please do as she's amazing. And I mean, not that yoga is like an achievement based thing, but she's achieved far more postures, I think than I have at this point. So, uh, you know, uh, but it's a practice we're practicing um, and you can practice with her. I know she has like an online studio as well. Okay. So is there any special pocket of life where you're finding extra meaning these days? This doesn't have to be yoga. It can be kind of anywhere, any recent epiphanies, big or small. This is going to sound more woo woo than I typically like to sound, but it's really the small moments. Um, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, I feel like the phrase that's constantly just like flashing in my mind is I don't have time. I don't have enough time. So and it's like, we've talked about this too. It was Tignat Han who was like, find God in doing the dishes. And that's truly a lot of my practice right now. Dishes actually are my household chore. And there are moments where I get really resentful of, of having to do so many dishes. But then there's this magic that happens if you just like look at the soap and feel the running water and it sort of ties into a gratitude practice like i mean by global standards the privilege of having running water that's clean just in this instant is 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 magical and so truly i could sit there and do these dishes and find so much peace gratitude in doing them and that's what i have time for sometimes and that's kind of where I'm finding my epiphany. Like life is good. There's many good things in my life, no matter how stressful and chaotic it can be at times. That's so good. There was there was actually this meditation I did through the app that you recommended open. And what's the gal who you mm. enjoy on there? Is it her name Erin? Erin uh, Gilmore. Yeah. Okay. Queen. Love her. Erin Gilmore. She had this meditation and in it, she was like, when you slip into your sheets tonight, just remember that this is your ancestors' wildest dreams. This like sheets this soft. And I was like, oh my God. It, it's that little moment that we take for granted all of these like, simple, you know, luxuries. They are truly luxuries. Like, you know, we pee in a potty. That's a luxury. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's absolutely. And it, for a lot of us too, it's like a generation ago, depending on our, our backgrounds, mm. like 
didn't have access to so many of these things. And so when we talk about wellness, when we talk about personal practice and yoga, I think it's so important to, to be really mindful of, of these little luxuries. I wouldn't even call them little, these luxuries that we have in our yoga practice can honestly be just gratitude for those things. Yeah, you're so right. Oh, so good. Okay. Now let's see. This podcast is all about the ways that people make meaning of their days. I would love to know if you have any like day-to-day creative practices or rituals that come to mind. I walk every morning for about an hour, truly rain or shine. That's the privilege of having a dog Mm. um, so they don't care about the weather. And it is, it can become routine if I'm not really present when I do it as opposed to what I want it to be, which is a ritual. But the idea I've really crafted my schedule, which I, you know, I have the flexibility to do so that I can take an hour every morning, usually right around sunrise on an ideal day. I'm out there around 530 or six and just be in the sunlight to walk, no devices because you can't really walk two dogs and have a phone in your hand. So I'm just really present and it's time for like those creative juices to flow. I can't do anything about it because I'm such a person like, oh, don't forget to send that email to that one person about this really great idea. And then like, I'll do it right away. But sometimes if I think of an idea like that, when I'm walking, it like unravels, there's so much more time for it to shapeshift. And it becomes a different thing by the time I can take action on it. So these like moments of doing nothing and just thinking are really where I find a lot of my creative ideas, my business ideas. And oftentimes if I do walk with my husband, it's also an opportunity for relationship development, uh-huh. you know, no devices. We're just talking. It's like, what's for dinner? And this is a ritual. Like I will move heaven and earth to make sure that I have my daily walk. Um, I went this morning, it was raining. Except I very much pulled a, a, a Joe from you, like ball cap sunglasses but uh were you stalking it's, it's just part. <laughs> were you stalking a stranger <laughs> a few yards no up. there was nobody out people were just looking at me from their houses like I was a crazy person <laughs> oh I love the daily walk that like really saved my sanity during uh the pandemic and it was like Wilder couldn't really he wouldn't he was kind of chitter-chattering but he couldn't really talk to me so I was just like I would like push him around in this little plastic car which also made like the it sounded like if you were carrying a garbage bin down the street like that's how loud it was to hear me coming do you know what I'm talking about like the rumble of rocks yeah. and <laughs> and debris um but it was such a moment it's exactly what you're talking about and it really was so meditative and I know other people speak to it like it's funny because I'm a bath taker um, and I typically do like a, a meditation in the tub, but um, a lot of people speak to to like having it in the shower or some people speak to having it in Shavasana. So I do think like walking is such a beautiful practice of meditation and um, and that's a really good one. Okay. And now we're going to do, you're going to humor me and we're going to do a little quick fire. Mm. Okay. So what is your favorite time of day? Sunrise. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Chris is a is one of my morning early morning friends, which I am too. I'm a I'm a morning person. Okay, let's see. Favorite morning beverage? Black coffee. Black coffee. Okay. Favorite evening beverage? Um, if I'm at home, tea. Okay. If I'm out, any sort of tequila or mezcal cocktail. Oh, okay. I just found out that mezcal is actually the only co- the only alcohol. I don't know that this is true, so like fact check me, people. But I heard that it was the only alcohol that is not a depressant. It's actually like a little bit of a, I think it was like a stimulant. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that actually makes sense for me when I've, when I've drank mezcal. Okay. Um, let's see. Favorite meal. Breakfast. Breakfast. Okay. Bath or shower? Shower. 
Oh, she she gave me a look during that that you not, will not see, but I know that judgment. I have a lot of people in my life who are like, Nathan is like, you're not clean, you bath taker. And I saw that judgment all over Chris's face as she answered that question. Yeah, there's some judgment. <laughs> there's for sure. Oh, it's a it's a thing. Okay. I'll listen. Okay. Early bird or night owl? Oh, early bird. I'm in bed by like eight. Yeah, which I guess we could have guessed that from earlier. Okay. And then, okay, my favorite question of all, currently reading. Um, I've sort of picked up some of your tendencies and I'm reading multiple things at the same time, I which it. I don't recommend. <laughs> I am currently reading Man's Search for Meaning, which is um, Ola Yoga's book club of the quarter. So I'm reading that. I'm listening to your recommendation, the audiobook for The Big Leap. Is that oh, what it's yeah, called? That's right. And then I always have to have a novel going um, and just love fiction more than anything else. And I'm reading Trust by Hernan Diaz. I need your fiction, Rex. I'm going to, I'm going to, are you on Goodreads or anything? I am on Goodreads. You are? I, I okay. update it so you'll know. Oh, yeah, you do? Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I'm not it's, the best updater, but I'm on there. So I'll, I'll pop on. I have friends who are like, they update by the page number and I'm like, okay, I don't have time for that life. But anyway, well, thank you so much, Chris. It was lovely to have you on. I'm sure you'll be back, but this was such a good little dive into like, you know, personal practice and yoga practice. And I just appreciate having you on. Is there anything you want to share as far as like where we can find you? You can find me at Ola Yoga Studio in East Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I would love you guys to come see me in real life. I'm also on Instagram at Ola Yoga Studio. Also, my personal is Chris Balto, but I'm by no means like a private page. I post photos of my dog. Um, So for my work, my professional life, my yoga, Ola Yoga Studio. I love it. See you later. Bye, Chris. For more everyday magic, as well as show notes, you can head over to homebodyyoga.com backslash everyday magic, or you can follow me on Instagram at homebody, B-O-D-H-I, yoga. Mm-hmm.